Well, there are moments in life that just make you stop and think, did that really just happen? Now, if you've had one of those experiences before, I wanna tell you about one that happened to my family recently. It was about a year and a half ago, and me and my uh, wife and our kids were in our front yard and we were practicing uh, t-ball. Our kids were in t-ball at the time. It was in the summer. And uh, my, and what we do is we put the ball on the tee and they would just hit, you know, uh, about 10 balls. And then uh, we just want to do that routine to get them better. So my daughter, she did it. And then her and my wife, they went across the street and they were playing with the neighbor kids, right? And so my son wanted to do the same thing. He wanted to go play with the kids. I said, no, you got you to gotta hit first. You got you to gotta do that first. And so he wanted to get through this as fast as he could. And uh, my son, who uh, he's a little bit uncoordinated, okay? And so um, many times when he would take a swing, he would just take a swing and spin in a full circle, right? And uh, so he's trying to get through this as fast as he can. And so he takes a couple swings. Well, one time he takes a swing and he misses the ball. And on top of missing the ball, he takes a full spin around. And when he comes back around, he lets go of his bat, his metal bat, which went directly into my mouth, all right? Yes, true story. And so, and it hurt. And so I fell, I fell face first into the grass, face first into the grass. He starts crying, right? Thinking he's killed his dad, okay? I'm laying there. My wife's across the street. She sees my son crying and me laying face first into the ground. She's like, what's going on? She comes over there. And after I get myself up, I've got a busted lip that needed stitches and a front tooth that was chipped, okay? And, and then we get up and she looks at me and we're all just like, did, what, like, what just happened? Did that really just happen? Sometimes those type of moments, they come out of nowhere, right? They come out of nowhere. Now, if you're old enough, you've lived through the most prominent, did that really just happen moment? I can remember, it's because it happened on September 11th, 2001, right? We call it 9-11. If you're old enough, you can remember uh, what happened in that moment. You can remember watching it. Two aircrafts crashed into the World Trade Center towers in New York City. Another hit the Pentagon and a fourth landed in a field in Pennsylvania. 3,000 people died at 9-11. And if you're like me, you can vividly remember where you were, right? You can vividly remember where you were, what you were doing when that happened. And maybe you can even remember watching the television live as you watched the second plane hit the tower. And, and you just thought, or at least I did, is this really happening? Did that just happen? Is this real? Right? Sometimes these moments, they're moments that we will never forget. They're unlike any other for us. They can shape us. They change us. They're memorable. And they often come with an important lesson. You could argue that the Bible is filled with moments like that. Filled with moments where something happens or something is said and everyone's just kind of left going, did that just happen? Did, did we just experience that? What we're going to look at today is one of those moments where if you would have been there, your jaw would have dropped and your mind would have blown by what you saw and experienced. We're, we're deep in this series called I Am Jesus where we're looking at the statements that Jesus makes about himself throughout the gospel of John. And we've seen some amazing truths. Just to recap, we've talked about, you know, if you're hungry, he says he is the bread of life. If you're in darkness, He's the light of the world. If you need protection, he is the gate. If you need care and guidance, he is the good shepherd. And today, connected to this fifth statement that Jesus makes, is a shocking and an amazing moment that left everyone with a choice on what to do with what 
they experienced. What Jesus says in John chapter 11, speak to us right here, right now in this moment. So I wanna turn, I invite you to turn there in your Bibles, John chapter 11, whether you got a Bible with you or your phone or a tablet, um, because I, I want you also to be able to see the whole story as we, as we read these words. So as you get there, we'll read it in a moment, but I want you to know that this matters for you today as well. This is not just a story for us to read. This is, this is important because his words give us a choice on what we're gonna do. You're gonna be familiar with this story. It's a story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. It's the most remarkable miracle that Jesus performed. It's actually the last miracle that Jesus performs in the Gospel of John. And on top of all of that, it's actually the last straw that was, that was pulled before the chief priests and the Pharisees begin to plot to kill Jesus. This was it. This was it. When he did this, they, they began to plot to kill him. But before Jesus tells Lazarus to walk out of the grave, he speaks to the family. And what he says to them in that moment has significant meaning for all of us. We can't read the whole story, okay? That covers all of John chapter 11, but we're gonna read a part of it and we're gonna read right in the middle and then we'll, we'll fill in all the gaps, okay? So I wanna invite you to stand with me for the reading of our scriptures we do every week as a way to honor God's word. We're gonna start in John chapter 11, starting in verse 21. <clears throat> Here's what it says. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah the son of God who has come into the world. All right, thank you guys. You can be seated. This is such an interesting story. I'm excited to share it with you because honestly, it took me a little while to land on um, the direction, the content and, and the application of this. And it's fascinating the way that Martha and Jesus interact and what they were both thinking. Nonetheless, I wanna talk to you about this um, statement that Jesus makes from the narrative of the story, okay? And we're gonna start with the most obvious thing that we can all see, and that's the problem. Number one is the, the problem. You can see what the problem is, right? If you, weren't, if you don't know what the problem is, you weren't paying attention very well. The problem is Lazarus is dead, okay? That, that is the problem. And you know, it kind of seems like Jesus should have been there, right? That's, that's what it appears to be. We read this at the beginning, but just to recap in verse 21, Martha says to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, why would Martha say that? I don't think that she was shaming Jesus for not being there, but rather I think it was basked in sorrow because she wanted him there. She had already sent for Jesus to be there. She already told him what was going on. For the sake of clarity, let's just go back to John chapter 11 at the very beginning of the chapter in verse one and just read these couple verses of how the story starts. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. You see, Martha and Mary 
had already sent word to Jesus, Lazarus is sick, come and help. Come and help us, right? And not just anyone, because by, by all angles in scriptures, we can kind of make the um, insinuation that Jesus and Lazarus were close. I mean, he, he loved him. Later, Jesus would, would cry, would weep because of this whole situation surrounding Lazarus's death. They wanted him there. They wanted Jesus there. And so when he wasn't there, it became a problem. Martha, I think she believed first, probably from firsthand experience or knowledge, that if someone was sick or hurting, that Jesus could fix it. I mean, she had, she had seen that, she had experienced that. And so when her brother is sick, she wants Jesus there. She knows, she knows that Jesus can fix this. And so the story gets even more complicated in John 11, verse six, when we read this. And so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Jesus, after hearing that Lazarus was on his deathbed, about to die, decided to stay where he was two more days. Have you ever read something in scripture and just wondered why, why you have to do that, right? Why did Jesus have to do that? Why, why did it have to be like that? Why couldn't he just go? Well, in this instance, Jesus tells us exactly why he stayed. It's for God's glory, so that God's son may be glorified through it. And so, the problem is death. Lazarus has died. The reality for all of us, the connection that I make, is that we deal with a lot of problems in life as well, right? We, we all do this. There's things in our life, there's things in our life that just make us think this. Jesus, if you would have just been here, if you would have just done something, if you would have just stepped in, if you would have just shown up, if you just would have done what you can do, this wouldn't have happened. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever had those thoughts go through your mind? God, if you just would have done something, you just would have showed up, this wouldn't be like this. Those thoughts can cross our minds sometimes. I can remember being in India a few years ago, um, visiting our mission partner, CICM. Uh, hopefully you're familiar with them. Um, they do incredible things in central India, literally impacting, this is not an exaggeration, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people through their ministry all across the country. It's an amazing thing what they do. Uh, Mount Pleasant's been partners with them for over 25 years. And we've been on the front ends of seeing some incredible work changing parts of their world because of what we do and how we give at this church. And so it was an honor for me to go and to visit and to work with them for a time. Here's a picture of Mike Sheely and I um, at our, uh, when we got there, they made a banner for us, which was really cool. Uh, Mike didn't tell me that I was standing in front of my name, but that's the picture that we have, okay? Um, I actually like bro Matt better than Pastor Matt, so just keep that in mind. <laughs> we were there for a youth conference to speak um, and to train some leaders, and at one point of this trip, they took us into this conference room, and one by one, they brought in uh, different people to speak to us. Um, so uh, it was Mike and me and a couple people that we traveled with from another church and they brought these people in and they just shared their stories with us. These stories of um, persecution, of things that they've experienced and gone through. And uh, it, was, it was heartbreaking. Here, women um, who had to watch their families be brutally murdered in front of them because of their faith. Men who as boys had to literally hide in bushes and in rivers as their families were chased out of their village because they were Christian. Story after story of unspeakable things that I don't wanna share from this 
pulpit, they had us all in tears as they shared story after story after story. And I could go into more details, but that's not the point. The point is the thoughts that I had. Because the thoughts that I had were this. Jesus, why would you let this happen? To these people, why would you let this happen? Why would you make them go through this? Why would they have to experience this? Why wouldn't you just help them? These are people that you love, that love you, that are doing your work. Why? And then I remember the story with Lazarus, the one who Jesus loved, and he let him die. Why would he do that? Well, he, he told us so that God may be glorified. Now, if you're like me, that is a difficult truth for us to wrap our minds around, right? How can God be glorified through such harsh circumstances? But is it possible? Now, sometimes in life, we're gonna have trouble, you know this, and yet the purpose of it goes beyond just the here and now, that maybe there's a larger purpose than our comfort and our feelings, maybe even our lives, that God's glory and his purpose and his plan could be revealed in some way through the small difficulties that we go through. I don't know that we can always expect to find that answer to, the, to that question, but here's what I do know. We're gonna have problems in this life, right? People will get sick, people will die, things at work won't go smooth, your kids might hit you in the face with a bat, right? You're gonna miss your flight, you're gonna get stuck in traffic, all these type of things you will deal with. Some are very traumatic, some are minor inconveniences, but it's what we do with them that matters. We live in a fallen and a broken world where pain, sickness, and death are present. Trouble is present and it's not about avoiding it, it's about being faithful in the midst of it. In fact, as we sit in that conference room with those people in India, we asked them at the end of each of their stories, we said, how can we pray for you? What, what do you want us to pray for? And not a single one of them asked for prayer for the persecution to stop. They all asked for prayer to be faithful in the midst of it. And that's a big difference. Imagine there's probably some people here today that need to be reminded of that. This world will have problems, but it's nothing that Jesus can't handle. He said so himself, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So there's gonna be problems, it's what you do with them, it's how you see them, it's how you respond to them that matters, okay? So the first thing is, is the problem. Lazarus is dead and, and we recognize that, but here's the second thing that we see from the story is the confusion. It's the confusion. You may have picked up on it, but maybe not. Look again at the interaction again between Martha and Jesus as she welcomes him into the village in verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. It's slightly funny, right? Because Martha's not wrong, right? She's not wrong in what she says. Like she knew that Jesus could have saved Lazarus if he had been here on time, but he wasn't. He didn't show up on time. In fact, if you put the timeline together from the whole narrative, you can make the assumption that by the time that Jesus actually heard that Lazarus was sick, he had already died. By the time that the messengers got there, Lazarus was already dead. And so at this point, Martha's confusion is that Jesus can't fix this right here and right now. No one has ever done this. I don't really blame her for thinking this, right? And later, in fact, the family insists, just think about this, the family insists that Jesus not roll the stone away from the tomb because it smelled in there, right? Because Lazarus had been four days. No one thought that Jesus was gonna do what he was gonna do. And so there was confusion. As he says, Lazarus is gonna rise again. She's thinking someday in the future. Now, 
this is a bit odd, but I read this story on the news. It, it literally happened just a few weeks ago in Suffolk County in Long Island, New York, where an 82-year-old woman died in a nursing home. She died at 11.15 in the morning, and by 1.30, they moved her to a funeral home. Okay, that seems kind of quick to me, but that's, <laughs> that's what happened. So uh, she died at 11.15. At 1.30, they moved her to a funeral home, and the story took a twist as I was reading it because at 2.09, they discovered her breathing in her body bag. Can you imagine, right? Like, can you imagine? Like, she's been raised to life. It was, a, it was a miracle. And so I read that and I was like, man, this is a great story to share as we talk about Lazarus. But then I did some research because I was like, this, this is incredible. And I learned that it's actually not all that uncommon. <laughs> so um, apparently people die, uh, but they don't stay dead, okay? And so it, it's actually possible to die and then a couple hours later you wake up. So it's actually not all that amazing after all. But here's why I tell you that. Lazarus had been dead four days. Four days, that kind of stuff doesn't happen. You don't die for four days and then just wake up. Now, you may be familiar with this, but just in case you're not, here's why this is significant. In Jesus' time, um, the Jewish belief was that the soul would hover around the body for about three days, just hoping for maybe some type of uh, resurrection with the possibility that they would rise to life, kind of like that Long Island woman, right? Like maybe they would just wake up, right? And so they believed that the, the soul would kind of stay around the body for three days, but then after three days, when the, when the body began to smell and began to rot, the soul would leave, and that was it. And so when Jesus says, Lazarus will rise again, she knows it can't be now, <laughs> right? Not now. Maybe yesterday, Jesus, if you've been here yesterday, maybe, maybe yesterday, but not now. We've already wrapped him up in, in cloths. We got the professional wailers over here. They're crying, right? It, he's in the tomb. This is a funeral. He's not rising today. So yes, Jesus, he will rise in the last day because Lazarus was a faithful man. She's right about that, but she was confused, right? Because Jesus, when he was talking to Martha about Lazarus, he did not mean in the last days, he meant today, that he was going to rise today. And a few verses down, Jesus makes his way to the tomb. He calls him by name and Lazarus walks out of the grave in his grave clothes. Talk about a did that just happen moment. No one had ever seen this before. This is crazy. Everyone there would have had that feeling in their chest. What did I just see? What did I, what did I just experience? What is that? Who is this guy? Right? But before then, there was some confusion. And hear me out. I can't help but to make the connection to our lives just a little bit because we are often confused by what God is doing. I don't know how you feel about that. I, I, I often feel confused about what his plan is, uh, what he's up to, all of these things, right? Uh, we should constantly remind ourselves of this simple truth. And I know you know this, but we have to remind ourselves of this, especially these words from Isaiah as God talks to the nation of Israel. He says this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know those words, right? We know this truth, God's smarter than us. Confusion comes in our lives because we don't see things from the same perspective that God does, right? We've called it the upper story and the lower story. God lives in this upper story. We can see the whole plan. We live in the lower story. We're just in the here and the now. We don't always see that upper. That's what Martha experienced. 
I think that's what I've experienced in my life as well. You, you probably have as well. You don't, maybe you don't know this, but us pastors, we don't have this whole thing, the whole thing figured out, right? Uh, I'm just like you. I'm often confused about what God is doing, what he's up to, what his plan is. Just think back to the story of Joseph, this, the ancient story of Joseph found in the book of Genesis, right? Uh, you may be familiar with it, but Joseph had a bunch of brothers and they got real jealous of him. And uh, one day they decided to sell him as a slave uh, to travelers. And uh, they sold him as a slave because they were jealous of him. Now listen, I got two sisters and I'm the middle child. I know that they are jealous of me, but they would never, right? They would never do this, right? There's a lot of things that happened in Joseph's life um, that, that we read about in the book of Genesis. But it wasn't until 20 years later that he was able to put this whole thing together and, and to get maybe what God was doing. There was a famine in the land. And so his brothers uh, had come to Egypt where he was, where he had rose into power and now was in charge of food distribution for everybody. They come looking for food and they stand before Joseph. And this is what he says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. What an amazing perspective, right? But here's what I'll tell you. I can almost guarantee you that was not his perspective when he was 17 years old and he was sold as a slave. It took 20 years until he saw the other side of the whole story saying, huh, that's what God was doing. The confusion of why something like that would happen became clear. They intended it for harm. God had other plans. There's literally so many examples of this throughout our scripture. I wanna share with you one more. <clears throat> Think of the apostle Paul, right? Literally had been through so many things, had been through um, uh, shipwrecks and beatings and abuse and prison sentences and all this type of stuff, all because of the gospel. And, and he had been through all these type of things, but as he sat in a prison cell, he wrote these words in Philippians chapter one. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ and because of my chains. Most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord, all, in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. That's gaining clarity to the confusion, right? God, why would you let this happen to Okay, I kind of see what you're doing now, even in the midst of trouble. Martha would move, in just a few moments, she would move from confusion to clarity. That Jesus wasn't just talking about someday in the future, he was talking about doing it today. And so I wanna challenge you with this before we move on. Could your mindset change because of the story from Martha? Not to just think, well, one day in the future. One day God will make everything right. That's true. Martha was right. I'm not gonna argue that. But maybe one day, maybe today, Jesus can use your problem or your situation to bring about his glory. That's the perspective. That would bring clarity to the confusion in our lives. So trust me, that's not easy to do. It's not easy to feel in the moment, but the more mature and the more trust that you have in Jesus, the more that you can experience that type of peace and belief in your life, even in the midst of trouble. All of that leads to Jesus's statement. And his statement holds a lot of weight. Here's what he said again. I am the resurrection and the life. 
The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Those words lead us to the final part of this narrative, and that's the promise. So we have the problem, and we have the confusion, but we also have the promise that Jesus leaves us with. What's interesting here is that Jesus doesn't say, I can resurrect people, and I have life. He says, I am resurrection, and I am life. And I want you to listen to me for a minute, just just a minute, church, because this is so important. Our hope is not in an event, like Lazarus' resurrection. Our hope is in a person. It is in Jesus Christ. Nothing can stop or hinder Jesus from giving life because he doesn't have life. He is life. I need you to see the difference. This is just one of the ways that that Jesus is very different from you and I. You have life, right? He is life. You You can lose your life. Jesus cannot and will not lose his life. He never can. He laid it down, but his resurrection was proof that even death could not take life from him. That's the truth that we live this. Jesus then, after this, makes this promise that goes beyond what he's going to do for Lazarus. What he does for Lazarus is actually just proof. It proves that he's able to complete and fulfill his promise. He promises that those who believe, though they die physically, right, will live forever. Those who live spiritually will never have to worry about their spiritual life ending. You see, we as Christians live with this great hope for our future, it's because we hope in Jesus Christ. We believe like Martha, that he is the son of God, that, that, that he came into the world, that he rescued us from death and hell. And because he is the only one that we could trust our life with, we give our life to him. What a promise that we hold on to. And Jesus asked Martha to move her realization regarding the afterlife to a personal faith in the one who can give it. The key is belief. Death has no hold on the one who believes. I wish you'd wake up. This is the gospel, right? This is what we get excited about. No matter what happens in your life, death has no hold on you because of what Christ has done. The key is belief. The promise is for those who believe. And so he asked Martha, he said, do you believe this? Her response was this in verse 27. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. Martha's response comes back as one of the most complete confessions in the New Testament. We can remember that Andrew was the one that told Peter that Jesus was the Messiah. Nathaniel declared that Jesus was the Son of God and Philip spoke of Jesus as the one that Moses wrote about, but it was Martha who put all of these things together. And because of her belief, Even though her brother Lazarus lies dead in the grave, her confidence in who Jesus is and what he can do is not diminished. It's her belief. And that promise should change and shape us also. Jesus has a promise for each and every one of us. No matter the problem, no matter the confusion, he is offering you eternal life through a relationship with him. It's a promise he intends to keep for those who believe. As Jesus was about to leave the earth, 
he gathers his disciples together, kind of give them some last words, and he tells them he wants to go uh, and to, to preach the gospel to everybody who will listen. And then he adds these words in Mark 16. He says this, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. That's the promise that Jesus has for you. It's one that transcends death and this world, and it is tied to your belief in him right? Baptism is just the outward expression of your faith. That's why Jesus attaches it to this statement. Those who believe in Christ will be baptized and they will be saved. Those who do not believe will be condemned. So let me ask you a question. What should you do with all of this, right? Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, you will never die. And so he left Martha with a choice. He said, do you believe this? So what's your decision? If you've never decided, I can imagine in a room like this, maybe there's someone in here that needs to hear this. If you've never decided to follow Jesus by your own choice or your own free will or your own belief, maybe today should be that day. Come on, because we have talked about in this series what Jesus claims about himself, what he says with these I am statements. They leave us with a choice. Maybe today you need to put your faith in him for the first time, follow his example and his directive to be baptized and to follow him. What are you waiting for? You don't have to have everything in your life figured out. You don't have to have your, all your sins figured out or fixed. You just have to believe. That's what he says. Maybe you've been here and you've done that. Many of us have. We've walked that road. We've done that. We've checked that off. I was baptized in February of 1999. I was in middle school. And I remember my Sunday school teacher, his name was Dennis Gibbs, and uh, he took a special interest in me and he uh, helped me with my faith. I remember going over to his house and um, just studying the Bible with him and he talked to me about salvation and showed me how to follow Christ and helped me personally, me, make the decision to follow Jesus and to be baptized and he was right by my side when that happened. In fact, over the past 15 years of being in ministry, I've got to walk alongside so many students who've got to make that same decision, who come to the realization of who Jesus is and that they don't have to have their whole life figured out. They just believe and they wanna follow him and they make that decision. I've walked alongside adults who have done that as well. And I'll tell you this, on top of all the cool things I get doing my job, all the dodgeball and the pizza and all that kind of stuff like that, um, the, the best thing that I get to do is to watch people make a decision to follow Jesus. I wouldn't trade that for anything else because it brings the most joy to my life, seeing people truly believe that and to walk with Jesus. Some of you have experienced what that feels like and what it looks like with a friend or a family member with personal evangelism. You've walked alongside them. You've seen people that you love make a decision to follow Jesus. So maybe my challenge for you would be this. In what Jesus says in one verse prior to what we just read in verse 15 of Mark 16, he says this, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. That's his command. We've got to tell people about this Jesus that can conquer death because he is life. He is the one who has authority over all creation and there's no power in hell that can take life from him or from those who believe in him. Maybe there could be one person, one life that you know that is worth your time and your effort to talk to about Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection. Maybe in just a few minutes, you could take the opportunity to come to these steps like we offer to you and to offer up a prayer, a powerful prayer with, by yourself or with someone else for someone who needs to know Christ. And here's why, just follow with me for a second. Here's why all of this matters 
so much because what Jesus said when he said this, I'll read it to you one last time. Here's what he said. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. You know what he was talking about when he said that? He's talking about our eternities. And it will be determined by our belief in Jesus. The bottom line that I want you to see is this, is that Jesus offers true life through a relationship with him. That's both in the here and the now, what Jesus can do for you right now, and it's also the promise for our future. Let's be the type of people that believe in what Jesus can do in our lives right now, right? Very much like what happened in that story, that he can fix things right now, but also in a belief and a hope in the future and what Jesus will accomplish, that we will never die spiritually if we believe in him. And so I wanna ask you today, it's just to respond in some way. Maybe there's somebody in here that needs to respond for yourself. I believe in you, Jesus. I believe in what you say. I believe that you are the resurrection and the life. And I want the promise that you have for me. Maybe that's a decision that you need to make for yourself today. Or maybe there's someone in your life that needs to know that. I can guarantee, I can guarantee, I can assume that every single one of us in here knows some people that need to know Jesus. And whether you come up here and respond and, and do that as a church family together, you stay in your seat, let's respond today with conviction in our hearts to either to follow Jesus or to help other people to follow Jesus. Let's be a church that hears the words of Jesus and responds to them. He is the resurrection and the life.